Hey, I'm Jess. And I'm Amy, and this is the Synchronized Swim Podcast. Synchronized Swim began in 2017 as a website where we, two longtime friends, each agreed to write one essay a week about something. Art, faith, sitcoms, general malaise, disillusionment, wild hope, being wrong, pizza. The list is endless. This podcast is a companion to that website where we will be featuring essay readings, conversations, bonus stories, and special guests. We are so glad you're here. Well, hello. Hi there. Can you hear me well enough? Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you great. Same. Like even better maybe than last time. Um, I'm I'm hoping that you know how last time we had some like little weird moments. I really yes, those of sadness and again. fuzziness. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a little worried about that. But as am I. But only way is forward. So that's so true. <laughs> it's just wisdom. Just some wisdom to start it off. So should we say like a fake hello to each other? Um. <laughs> but didn't or we? Should, just... Or should this just be it? This is fine. Okay. <laughs> this is just fine. Clearly, we are podcast professionals. Yeah, because we've made two podcasts over the course of, like, three months. This being the second. This being the second. It's called professionalism. Learn about it. Professionalism. Yes. Perfection and profession. (laughs) Two of our strongest traits, individually and collectively. (laughs) So, hey, Jess, how are you? I am well. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm drinking sparkling water. Ooh. I'm in my house. It's snowing. Um, it's snowing? Yeah. It's wow. like snowing and blowing. And yesterday it was sleeting. Gross. I love talking about weather. And Isaiah, my dear husband, gets really pissed anytime I bring up the weather, either with him or with anybody, because he thinks it's like really a. Uh, like stupid topic of conversation well it's like fundamentally the thing that people suggest is like when you don't know what to talk about you talk about the weather I know but honestly I'm grateful because it's something we all like I need help in conversation (laughs) and I'm fascinated (laughs) with the weather (laughs) it is fascinating how each day you don't know Oh, no, you're just like Isaiah. You also hate No, I'm not. I like the weather. I like okay. the weather. I mean, it's sunny. It's sunny as can be here in California, but. But it was raining. We don't it need was to raining. talk about the weather. Yes, it was raining for many days. That's incredible. It is incredible. My roommates were like, you brought the rain with you because when I came for the first week, they were like, why is it raining? And then I went to Utah and I came back and it started raining again. And I was like, sorry, guys. And now it's going to rain for the next however long you live there. Hopefully not. That's not why I moved here. Oh, right. I don't want the rain. Please. 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 What are you doing? Are you sewing? Well, I had been. Now I'm sort of sitting still so as to produce good audio content. Um, Yes, yes. But I'm Fashion perfection. I was working on copying my patterns, um... Because I'm hoping to digitize them via a friend I made on the internet. Oh. And then turn them into, like, sewing patterns that other people can make. That's so cool. 
It is cool, and I'm really excited about it, but now I'm sort of self-conscious that, like, my patterns are a little wonky, because they, you know, they're handmade, and I'm like, oh, no, like, I have to get everything straight and lined up and perfect, so I, it's taken me longer than um, I thought it would, well. but it's, it's really exciting, and it's one of those, like, happenstance meetings where, like, you have something you need, and the other person has something they need, because she's been wanting to learn how to digitize sewing patterns. That's so, so random It was <laughs> of a desire. Really? I know. She just, like, reached out to me and was like, hey, I saw that you're wanting to develop sewing patterns, and, like, I want to learn how to digitize them, so. That makes me hate the internet, like, considerably less for reasons such right? as that. <clears throat> I was like, this is a miracle. I hope you understand this. So this is, she's my new friend slash collaborator. Maybe she will listen. Hi, Amelia. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We love your work. Yeah, truly. Yeah. So that's what I've been working on today. Um, And also I spent literally all day yesterday reading about and writing about Julian of Norwich. So I'm feeling kind of brain fuzzy. Oh yeah. I saw that you wrote that and I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I like it. I spent like 12 hours yet. I don't know how that time, like I meant to do other things yesterday, but I didn't do anything except Julian of Norwich. Well, then that's all you were supposed to do. I guess. It was great. It was one of, I mean, it was a kind of magic writing day where you like really kind of know what your train of thought is, you know? So that was good. So rare. (laughs) Really? I know. (laughs) So rare. It's like once every three months for me or something where all of a sudden there's like a break in the clouds. It's like clear. <laughs> and the sun hits my face. You turn into Donna Tart in like one moment. <gasps> I will never be Donna Tart. Yeah, neither will I. That was honestly, even for a joke, that was, that was oh reaching my gosh. really far. She's a holy woman. It's true. It's true. Um, what have you been up to today? It's earlier for you. It is. It is earlier. Um, I woke up and did Pilates. (laughs) Because I'm like trying. (laughs) I know because I'm I'm filming later. Oh, I think I told you, I can't remember if I told you. I like my job right now is being a background extra. And so I have to leave for I can't mention what show it is because they have all these weird confidentiality things and like I can't bring my phone um (laughs) but Uh, I'm going to an illustrious and very cool filming in like two hours and so wow um, I just was trying to get stuff done and this was the only plot of two hours um this just seems important we have been trying to record this for like almost a month pretty much since I got here and this is quite literally the first block of like two-ish hours that we could sustain between the two of us and like we can show you the text conversations it's yeah 100% true we have earnestly tried like I tried to record it we tried to record it while I was in Utah which was honestly just foolish and it's really sweet that we thought that could happen I know I find it endearing and it's sort of topical for Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything else that this episode is about that we tried and hoped I know so dear listeners we apologize all to you but also we don't because because it's not a big deal and it's fine and no one pays us. So. And no one pays us anything <laughs> for anything we do. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. Although I was really encouraged because I was listening to Richard Rohr. What? 
maybe this was on the liturgists or something, but he said that vocation is the thing that you would willingly do for no money. And I was like, oh, well then great. I'm practicing my vocation in most of my time. So thanks, (sighs) Richard. That was neat. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Richard, for everything. (laughs) And you're in your roommate's room? I am in my roommate's room. uh, Her dog is pawing at the door. And oh, I, know. <laughs> I know, but she can't come in because that would be noisy. But yeah, I'm sitting in my roommate's room because my actual roommate often sleeps um, somewhat late. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, here we are. In this here room we are. Instead. Yeah. Well, should um, we talk about our theme for this episode? Yeah, we're going to talk about dreams um, because... The cranberries so, just crashed into my head. See, mine went to Fleetwood Mac, um, <laughs> which is why we're a perfect pair. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, yeah, we decided we wanted to talk about dreams because it's pretty clear that that's near and dear to both Amy and I. Oh, my God. We don't have the rights. We can't play it. It's just it's just a moment of illegality. <laughs> It's fine, and if they find us, they can't sue us because we're not real. Just a moment. Just, Just a, moment. a moment. I can hum Fleetwood Mac. They can't stop me from that, right? Um, I sing in my essay this week. Just you wait, everybody. Oh. Oh. Well, because it includes song lyrics, and, like, saying song lyrics out loud is extremely Just weird. dumb. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'll get to do the same thing. I haven't recorded mine yet, but I sing Joni Mitchell in my. <laughs> Yes. Welcome to our choral episode about yes. dreams. Yes. Wow. Oh, but what? Well, yeah. Dreams. Yeah. Because yeah. we care about them a lot. And obviously we write about them a lot. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like in these few beginning episodes, it was important to kind of approach the broad topics of what we care about before we kind of settle into the more niche. I just wanted to say niche. Um, <laughs> things that we write about, including Meg Ryan. But... Yeah, always. it just always, <laughs> but it just seemed like the right thing to talk about because we've written about it so many times and it's kind of a treat because the essays that we picked, Amy's is from a year ago and mine is literally my most recent essay. So yeah. it worked out nicely that we couldn't record because this is the right essay for this, even though I could have chosen a bunch of other ones. I was like, no, this is what I want to talk about. Yeah, I know. It is really good. I feel like our conversation will, is like, you're in a better place to talk about it from your yes. end now. Yes. before than before so 100 yeah and dreams really has been sort of an undercurrent of the whole project pretty so much far. from the get-go yeah 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 from the get-go. yeah so okay jump into the essays let's do it yes cool let's jump <laughs> right now <laughs> sure Merrily by Amy, originally published February 12th, 2018. Pick yourself a road, get to know the countryside. Soon enough, you're merrily, merrily practicing dreams. I'm sitting in Oak Park, Illinois in an artistic haze with Jessie across from me eating a muffin she was given for free. This day feels out of time, like a whole different life could grow out of this day if I let it, all the while knowing that it won't. Isaiah is far away, 
across the ocean in Rwanda of all places, which is a whole story in itself. So I'm alone in a way that makes me pay more attention to myself differently than I'm used to. I feel exposed, vulnerable, like my skin has been peeled away and I'm supposed to account for how pink I am, how raw, how soft. When was the moment? Last night, Jesse, Margaret, and I saw Marilou roll along at a small theater in Chicago. If you don't know about it already, it's a musical by Stephen Sondheim, a true patron saint to both myself and Jesse, that moves backward in time through the lives of three friends. At the beginning of the play, they're in their 40s, successful, sort of not friends anymore, and wildly unhappy. At the end of the play, they are 18 or so, on a rooftop with their eyes wide open and the whole world stretched out in front of them, everything just beginning. So much happens in between, so many choices made, so many feelings both expressed and not. At intermission, I crumbled into a little turtle of a person, folding into myself, bent from experiencing the heartbreak of a skewed dream, friendship marred, what could happen. And also crumbled in the dreams, for the dreams, knowing what was to come at the end of the play, knowing where I am standing in myself right this second. There's a song, the second to last, called Opening Doors, which is essentially about being a young artist with a thousand day jobs and a ton of hope. Here are some of the lyrics. We're opening doors, singing, here we are. We're filling up days on a dime. That faraway shores, looking not too far. We're following every star, there's not enough time. At intermission, I couldn't help but remark what a show to see with your friends, with a sort of wild and terrified look in my eye, and it's true. It's a musical that has within it the dissolution of some beautiful friendships. It is a cautionary tale, but there's much more to it than that. When you really look at it, it is an ode to youthful hope, which is really one of the only things that is nourishing us right now in these strange days of unsuccess and endless ambition. The play isn't about the fact that things didn't turn out well in the end, it's about the origin, the purity of the original intent, the way that life gets in the way. It didn't have to happen how it did, but it did, nonetheless. It doesn't have to happen that way. I'm not intending to be successful and deep, deeply unhappy in my 40s. I'm not intending or expecting for my life to bear a resemblance to Merrily We Roll Along, and that's not why it's affecting me so much. For the whole play, I was bracing myself for the hope part, the way the musical ends and the story starts, hearing it echoed lyrically and musically throughout the meandering way to there, waiting for it, craving it. The last song of the musical, where the lyrics are quite literally, feel the flow, hear what's happening, we're what's happening. Don't you know we're the movers and we're the shapers, we're the names in tomorrow's papers, up to us man to show them. It's our time. It's hope, clear and true, and that's where I'm stuck. I'm stuck in the hope part. I've been stuck in the hope part for so long, and in some ways it feels like I'm almost about to step out of it, like things might start to really happen for me, like success might start rolling my way, and then where will I be? Where will I be when there's less to hope for and more to do? I've been stuck in opening doors for it feels forever, but what will I do when the next thing happens? What will I do when the song changes?
Right now, I am back in a city that was my home for six years, up until a mere six months ago, so it feels like an optimal or even necessary moment for reflection. Things are hinging. In May, I'm moving away, far away, in a more permanent way than any other move has felt. I'm starting to make choices with my work that feel like actual career choices, whatever that makes, whatever that means. I think more clearly now. I have a point of view, things to say. My yeses and nos fly out of me more easily than they ever have before. I hope I'm growing into the sort of person I hoped I'd be when I was 18. The sort of person I promised my friends I'd be. I'm growing up. That's what's happening. I want somehow to hold on to the hope. To keep living there, even when there's a lot piled on top of it. Despite the hinging, I feel a little like a broken record. I am a broken record. The thing is that things don't change as quickly as you expect them to, even when they're changing all the time. Your brain gets stuck, caught in a groove. As much as things are changing, or seem to be changing, I've also been in the same phase for a while, a long time. Sometimes feeling on fire with nowhere for the fire to spread. Sometimes feeling stuck in the ice. Moving endlessly forward while also feeling utterly stuck in the mud, waxing and waning the paradox of this season. You start to feel like maybe nothing will ever change. You start to feel like maybe you're crazy. You were crazy to dream and hope and think of what could be. You consider quieting down. You question all that you thought might happen. But then you're sitting in a theater in Chicago, watching a musical written by a genius about the very problem you're trying to work out. The very dreams you hold in your gut, the way it feels to be 18 or 20 or 24 on a rooftop or in a crummy apartment or in the woods or in a small carpeted room with windows in the west suburbs, talking about what you will do, what you must do, quite literally dreaming. Someone is standing in front of you singing, singing, it's our time. And your eyes are full of tears, and you have to keep yourself from standing up and singing too, and you know that there's truth in the room, the gigantic presence of it, the way it makes your chest tight and your heart so full it might pop. You sit in that room knowing you have to grow up, knowing you will do things, great things, that some of the things you hope may come to pass, knowing that things will change, friends will change, I will change, our dreams will change, and it may not always be so pretty, but maybe also it will. The possibility's endless with the work as the only real thing. But for now, you're just in a room where someone is singing. For now, you get to be back on the rooftop. In the room where we met to practice life and theater in college, sets one, we called it, there was a plaque on the wall with the lyrics from the last song in Merrily We Roll Long. This is where we begin being what we can. That's what it said. This is where we began being what we can. And that was all I could think of during the curtain call last night when the singing had stopped. That room, my own rooftop, the place where I got to dream with other people, the way those dreams have been carried with us down the road a little way. No matter what happens, no matter what success or unsuccess comes to me and my friends, I will always be thankful to have been in that room, to have dreams that don't just leave me alone within myself. Things will not always be wonderful, I know this. I know that life is endlessly complicated, that hope in its pureness is not all. I know that growing up is what is happening and what must happen, and I am okay with all of this. 
No matter what is to come, I know where I've been, and I know that I have been hopeful for a long, long time. And that is something to sing about. listen to you read that and a not feel emotionally compromised and um B, <laughs> like I know we talked about this in the last episode but it's so interesting to read something from almost exactly a year ago and yeah really yeah because I mean where you were then is almost a complete 180 from where you are now but like that kind of hopefulness and that hunger and that like ever present itch for something is like clearly still there in you, even though you're in some ways kind of settled into a path towards the thing that you want, which you weren't really before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And like the whole essay really was like at a moment of transition. It was right before I moved Mm -hmm. to Pittsburgh I was visiting Chicago from Honey Rock. Uh, I remember. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and staying with you and Margaret, there was a huge snowstorm. Like, it was a really weird moment out of time that was, like, a perfect sort of, like, uh, rooftop to reflect on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and And it really was, like, it felt like sort of the last moment of that, like, hopefulness before the thing happens. And now I kind of look back at it and it that is sort of what it was which is so weird well and one of literally one of the things you say is where will I be when there's less hope and more to do like when there's less to hope and more to do (laughs) and that's I mean I've been living that for a couple of months now kind of kind of but also not I'm I'm heartened to reflect over the year because it really has become a lot more to do. Um, I've started a business. I've made some plans. We're buying a house. Like a lot of really big adult things that kind of press down on you have been happening in my life. Um, but I still have that. I still, um, I still keep pivoting, you know, like, I, and I don't know at what point that will start. It's kind of the thing in me that reminds me that I am just an artist. Um, before I'm an entrepreneur, before I'm um, like responsible, mm-hmm. even I, I'm there for the, I'm there for the poetry more than the publishing, you yes. know? So, yeah. Yeah. And I was listening to Merrily We Roll Along this morning, the song, um, where what's his face is mad at where Charlie the, is mad at Frank. The, yeah, yeah, where they're on the the TV. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Dear listeners, if you have never seen or listened to Merrily We Roll Along, like maybe musicals aren't your jam, but like this is a really special little nugget, especially if you're a dreamer like us. Yes, if you're into <laughs> dreaming, this is your venue. And we could do probably a whole episode. Well, we will. That is, FYI, spoiler alert, that is one to come because we will talk about our patron saints. And I think he's the only one I've written about. (laughs) Yeah. So I won't go like too, too deep into like why this musical really hits me hard. But 
Um, just just even thinking about like the way that Frank in the play kind of becomes so much more about the business than the art. Yeah. Um, I've I've felt moments of that in myself. Again, just over the course of this year. But then I I'm really proud of myself for always kind of managing to like shake it off and go wait like. I'm not loving this anymore. How do I love it again? You know? Yeah, so. I have like a little bit of a different <laughs> interpretation because I'm literally, I'm in LA. Like, and the play ends yeah. with in LA. Like, spoiler uh. alert. Sorry. I guess technically the play begins, but it's told in reverse chronological order. But so the end of the story, the beginning of the play is he's at mm-hmm. a party in LA and he's a producer now. He doesn't even write music anymore. He's like in charge of sort of the big picture instead and he's like completely miserable he's at one of those parties that like you think is one way and is really the exact opposite and Mm -hmm. it's like hilarious Mm -hmm. with my very limited like exposure to LA life even just you know one month in and it's like oh (laughs) it's like like, there really should be caution tape around this like Mm -hmm. it's such a toxic poisonous thing when you let just what you said like when you let the dream turn into a business of some sort it sounds so cliche right and it sounds so naive but it's a hundred percent true like if if you let it if if for even a second you lose sight of the thing you originally dreamed like it will just go to shit right away well and I think the most heartbreaking thing about the musical to me is the the way their friendships dissolve and I've even noticed this. Jesse and I are a part of a group of four really close friends. Hi, guys. We love you. Me and Jesse, Annie and Margaret. We love each other deeply. We've known each other for many years now because of college. Um, but since college, we've gotten kind of closer than we ever were in college um, because of sort of trying to survive together. That's true. Um, That's real. But I've I've even noticed that like the more I press into like the business part of what I'm trying to do, the less I know how to like explain it and share it with all of you. Yeah, no, I remember. Um, yeah, in Napa. Yeah, that was hard. And and even like really anytime I try to say like what I'm doing and my work and how it's going and well, because it's inherently I, individual. I like, yes, so individual and so like technical and like. Like, it really can't make sense to anybody well, else. Well, and you know what? Like, it doesn't matter that it does. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think – I thought about that, too, with acting, which I guess we'll get into more later when we get to my essay. But, like, it really doesn't matter. And I think the older you get and the more that you press into whatever your practice is, like, I think part of that kind of youthful hunger and hopefulness is that someone will understand – like what you're doing yeah. and the importance of what you're doing. And part of that, let's be real, is being fours on the Enneagram where you just want people yeah. to understand that it's special and why. But I think the deeper you press into something, the more that you understand why it's special and why yes. it's important yeah. and not necessarily just to you, right? Like the more that you're able to see something special in it, you're like, this is something that other people should value. Like, and the way that I can make them value it is to press deeper into it, not to explain it to them. Right. And finding the people that that do understand it, which might not be your closest friend. Oh, yes. You know, like that's the other weird transition that I'm experiencing is like 
I I'm developing this like new community of like sewing people, which is awesome and exciting, but like it's hard. It's, it's really segmented, you know, like they're my friends in sewing, but you are my friends in like art and love, you know? Yeah. And it goes back to like, I, I wish again, almost that we just like all lived in the same neighborhood and like just had all of the pieces all at once together instead of these like little like camps that you visit and then leave and visit and then leave. Do you remember when I'm sure you do. I don't even have to ask you, but I'm going to say it when that, when that (laughs) woman came to work out and said, Oh, how did she say it? She said, why can't I live on the same street as everyone I love? And people laughed. And then she said, and why can't I say that without people laughing? And at the time, yeah, I was like, yeah, but like we're all in college, so we do live on the same street. And like, I know. I was like, oh no, she knows, and we don't know yet. And that's, yeah, yeah I will truly never forget that. Yeah, she was on top of the picnic. She table. was in our little cult. <sighs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Maybe someday we will explain all of that to everybody. And maybe too. someday we'll but- all live on the same street. But if we don't. I mean, that's kind of what I was saying before, too. It's like, if you're leaning into a practice, like, dreams are selfish, kind of. And yeah. And if, if executed correctly, like, the selfishness is counteracted by the value it creates. But, like, in some ways, you do kind of have to nestle into it and trust that the people you love will still be there. Like, that's not to say that you can completely jump out of relationship, right? Like, that's wrong. But yeah. it will look different. And I think if you're in relationship with under with other artists, there like is an element of understanding. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it can be hard in relationships where that's not something that's a priority. Well, or if you begin to stop doing your art, you know, yeah. then your artist friends are like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And you're like, "What? Oh, no, I'm ba- I'm going to the store. Bye." I know, I know. Yeah, and well, and I think like you don't even with your closest friends like even in the rooftop moment in merrily we roll along like they don't all have the same dream so it's almost like the most beautiful moment is before you start at all you know i I literally wrote that down the oh shoot yeah like just the whole idea that the hope is almost as good like to dream at all is almost as good as getting the dream yeah Oh, truly. truly. It's like kissing. It's like the moment before the kiss is oftentimes like way better than the actual kiss itself. And if it doesn't Mm -hmm. culminate in a kiss, you're like, oh, but I had the moment before. Wow. Yeah. And that's what is so weird about reading this essay because I was like at the end of the moment before. Yeah. But you didn't know what the next thing was. I know. Yeah. And now I'm just like in the kiss and it's great. But it's also like (laughs) I miss the tension kind of. Yeah, because when it's the thing that you're used to, once you get to the next thing, you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and there's still all the tension. Like, there's still – there's it, this, this like, happens a thousand times yeah. daily almost where it's, like, mini versions of this where you're like, oh, there's this thing I want to do. Will it happen? Oh, it's happening. What's the next thing? I want to do it. Will it happen? Oh, it's happening. You know? Yes. Like, so you get to experiencing it you get to experience it over and over, but there's definitely like really big moments of it that are like huge. So 
And I still have things. It's really weird because I'm like beginning this career, I guess, kind of. No, you are. It's not a kind of like you are. Yeah, it's not a kind of. But then I also have like I want to write a book and I want to like there's conflicting ideas, too that are like kind of jangling around and like all of those were contained in the initial dream. Yeah. But now the more that I walk into like the work, they, they feel farther away, you know, because I'm spending time on something else. So. Well, but then you have the component of youth of still being very young. That's so true. And at the beginning of something, I think of like Mary Louise Parker. She's one of my favorite actresses for, people who don't know she's on weeds and stuff but my favorite thing is obviously angels in america and she wrote this Mm -hmm. like fabulous book of essays Mm. in her 40s and it was really like she had written in different magazines and stuff but i remember reading i was like or tom hanks look at freaking tom hanks have you read his short story collection um no but i heard him talk about them and like read one of them on a podcast i think and i was like this is great it's great and i'm like look at Mm -hmm. him he's probably been thinking about that since he was in his 20s and yeah. he's in his 60s now and just now publishing them. Yeah. Cause it, and I get that what you're saying, so like, that initial container of hope and dreaming, and then only a little bit gets let out into actual reality, and then there's still the container yeah. full of hope and dreaming. I know. <laughs> well, and, I, and what, something I write in the essay is the line, with work as the only real thing. Yeah. And that's, like, the really disappointing truth is that like that there there is like a giant unending well of potential but like the only thing that makes it into the cup is the work Mm -hmm. you know so it's like like I need to I need to drink water like I need to make money I need to work to stay alive so but I I miss the well you know I miss swimming in it yeah and I still do yeah So it's, I remember long ago, you and I talking about how probably like our best job description would be seeker. Yeah. (laughs) Oh God. Yes. (laughs) Weren't we at, wasn't I babysitting Andrew? Um, no, it was actually on my birthday. We were talking on the phone. Yeah. Yes, because it was right after that rather unfortunate thing happened. And then we were yep. on the phone talking about it. And I was like in that headspace that after something like really good ends, and then you kind of are forced to reevaluate and reexamine. And I was like, yep. I was like, my name is Seeker. And you were like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and her name is this. And his name, and we were like going off telling people who they were. Yep. I remember that now. I'm telling you your I'm life. I'm telling you your life. It's Johnny Camarari. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That still feels true. That still feels true. Well, and I hear what you're saying about, like, the work is the only reality and stuff. But the thing that I was thinking while I was reading your essay in the contrast of your life then versus your life now is the thing you talk about, like, youthful hope as mm-hmm. a combat to unsuccess and endless ambition but, like, you don't have to be young to maintain youthful hope. Like, it really is the thing no. of constantly just coming back to the source. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I do write, like, I'm not intending to be unhappy in my 40s, you know? Oh, like, God, I'm please no. Yeah. I'm intending to, like, keep it going, you know, to keep the hope. And I keep the hoping machine running. 
keep the hoping machine running. And I, I, I expect that I will be able to, because I am a seeker. Like I don't, I really hope that I don't just work, you know, that I don't just like fall into something and let everything else go. But you won't. I know. I don't think it's possible, but sometimes I'm afraid that I will. And sometimes it feels like I am, you know? Yeah. But I think the only people that actually worry about that are the exact people who it will not happen to, like, which will lead to a different Mm -hmm. set of hardships, but Oh, that's encouraging. <laughs> well, no, seriously, because if you're aware of it, then it's not going to happen. Like, there's, I, I genuinely believe that. The most hopeful thing I've done in the past couple months is write poetry. That has made me feel really like, okay, mm-hmm. I am still alive. Like, yeah. I have, I have things bouncing around in me that aren't manufactured by my own willpower. You know. Hmm. And that, because it's ta- it's just taken, the work I've been doing has taken so much muscle and I'm exhausted, you know? So to have something feel effortless again is really um, life-giving to me. And that's how, not that poetry is effortless, but it, but it, it's like, it's a different muscle. Of it's me. a totally yeah. different part of, yeah. Yeah. And so that's been keeping my hoping machine running very vividly. As it has for centuries um, for many others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Totally. I think another element to this whole conversation is that I've just been thinking about motherhood a lot more. Yikes. Um, full disclosure, everybody. I'm not. I used to be on birth control pills and now I'm not. And I'm also married. So it's like. Th- I know that this isn't a reality for everybody my age, but for me, it it really is. And. I know that a baby changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, there's a joke where I don't even know. Don't even go down that rabbit hole. A baby changes everything. That's that's just objective truth. <laughs> yes, a baby changes everything. So everything I'm doing is like with the expiration, not the expiration date, but the like cliff I will jump off of like when I have a baby, you know, so um, that's also there for me that I know everything I'm doing will utterly change the moment I become a mother. So <laughs> I'm like trying to prepare for that, but also how do you prepare, you know, and it might be the best thing. It, it probably will be the best thing I ever do. So part of me is like, I, I don't know. That's just like a, an addendum to everything I, I think about already, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that's like a dream in itself. So. And that is where our paths diverge. I know. I know. And that's a really beautiful thing about our friendship too, Mm -hmm. I think. Which is kind of. I was. Yeah. I was talking to Margaret about that the other day too, about how like she's making career choices without any thought of like, oh, like not married, no baby. You know, Mm -hmm. every choice I'm making is completely tethered by married, buying a house, probably having a baby in the next five years, you know. So there's such beauty in both versions. Well, and that kind of perfectly transitions into my essay. Yeah. Yeah. We should. Let's transition to your essay. Okay. Let's read it. Perfect. Okay. Okay. To say I love you right out loud. 
an essay by Jess, originally published on February 14th, 2019. I am presently huddled away at the wobbly table in the kitchen roommate number two secured from a relative, listening to roommate number one's acting class discuss the text of the play they are currently rehearsing in our living room. They called this emergency rehearsal last night during a scheduled rehearsal, when it became clear that a second rehearsal solely devoted to research and dramaturgy, or, as their teacher refers to it, sleuthing the text, was necessary. Our apartment became the designated meeting place for reasons unknown. I am pretending to be busy writing this post, occasionally tapping away at a half phrase, but really, I'm just listening to them. Of all the rooms I could be in, including my own rehearsing an audition for this Friday, I am shamelessly sitting in this one and shamelessly listening to what's going on and being said, even though I'm not a participant, because of all the rooms in the world, a rehearsal room is the one I love best. This is a room in which anything could happen, and very well might. The teacher casually drops bits of wisdom throughout as offhandedly as a grocery list. This is tedious work, is it not, my angels? She coos as she asks them for the third time what they know based on the line that's just been said. There is a mini-play going on in our own kitchen as roommate number two comes in bearing a bouquet of flowers and a box of chocolates from a client at work who made a declaration to her via a handwritten letter. A few of the rehearsing actors' heads pop up upon seeing any symbol of affirmation waft through their midst, but they are quickly sucked back into the task at hand. Roommate number two drops the parcel next to my computer on the table, eyebrows arched. I read through the note, smiling fondly at the bold gesture and the Ferrero Rocher that accompanied it. Roommate number three silently comes in and, careful not to distract the actors, picks up the note from the table to see for herself. She points out that Casanova has not gotten our roommate's name right in his declaration. The three of us share a silent moment of conspiratorial glee. Love in Los Angeles, baby. It's just as brutal. Everyone who reads this website knows that I love Valentine's Day. This is my third year getting to write about it here, and each year has surprised me with what it drums up. I love love, and I especially love what love makes people do, and I really love a whole day on the calendar devoted to celebrating it in its hundred faces. And it occurs to me, as I'm sitting here lurking like Mr. Robitussin from The Princess Diaries, that the thing I love the most is acting, and that's what I most feel like celebrating this year. The reason I'm sitting here straight up eavesdropping is because everyone wants to be close to the thing they love, no matter how mundane. This particular love has taken me places my whole life, most recently across the country, and has wooed me out of various stages of indifference and callousness, fear and boredom, regardless of how much distance I attempt to put between myself and it. It has stuck with me, made me a better person, and taught me how to say yes to good things even when I'm scared, terrified, that I don't deserve them. I don't often talk about acting because it can very quickly turn trite or performative or just plain annoying, but in some ways it's the great love of my life, so today especially, I feel bold enough to talk about it. Nothing is more interesting to me than acting because nothing is more interesting to me than people. And really, all my favorite people are actors, and all of my least favorite people, too. A rehearsal room is one filled with beginnings. My acting grandfather, whom I never met, referred to actors as high priests carrying the prayers of the people, because plays are filled with longing. I believe that. 
I believe that aside from a church, a theater is the holiest place you can step into and the most likely place to be changed or experience transformative love. And upon coming to that recognition, I did not understand how I could spend my life doing anything else, or at least trying to. You cannot hide when you're acting, and in doing that, you are bringing other people out of hiding with you. You have to go through so much muck of comparison and self-consciousness and bullshit to arrive at anything meaningful, but the tastes of it you get are worth going through that vicious cycle again because there's no going back once you've had it. The worst parts of you are wrapped up in it, but it's the single greatest channel to revealing the best parts. I would be very, very happy being a lawyer or a financial planner or a writing teacher or a makeup artist or an art auctioneer, but I cannot even consider any of those things without first exhausting every possible avenue to a life as an actor. I've tried. It did not work. Think of your thing, the thing you love the most. If you are anything like me, you perhaps have tried to forget it multiple times because it is kind of painful to love something as much as the thing you love the most, and that's before you add in everything you love almost as much. Oh God, everywhere I turn, there's something I love enough to destroy me, and I don't even have children. But you love the thing you love the most for a reason, and really, what better way to go about life than letting it destroy you, and doing your very best to give that love away to people just like you? People who don't deserve it. People who desperately need it. Every day you have less reason not to give yourself away. I believe that you really do owe it to other people to go after what you love because it saves us all from half receiving it from someone else. Self-consciousness is the greatest barrier to boldly claiming that which we love as our own. Time is the only currency we've surely got. Best not to waste it on what we know is a lie. Like all great love stories, there is a sizable chance that my love affair with acting may end poorly. But each time I've loved and lost so far in my little life, I come closer and closer to feeling no regret. There are hundreds of reasons why jobs or relationships or paths hoped for do not pan out. But you can only ever take responsibility for your end of things, both the good and the bad. And you owe it to the object of your affection to try. Fail better, as they say. In one of the greatest reflections on leaning into love despite better judgment, Both Sides Now by Joni Mitchell, she says, Tears and fears and feeling proud to say I love you right out loud. So simple, yet it so perfectly captures the ineffable buoyancy of saying yes when life and all its failures have given you every reason to say no. For every young woman in her 20s in love with acting, there are 10 women in their 40s telling them to run. I understand that, and I am certainly not ignoring advice from those richer in wisdom and further in life, but every great love story deserves a shot, and no two love stories are alike. Dreams are vital. Dreams are fuel. Without them, we would always stay in the same place, navel-gazing in a tiny circle no bigger than our comfort zone. Love will always take you the furthest, so you may as well skip the self-protective steps that lead you away from it and just get going. So, happy Valentine's Day, lovers. I mean it. Go get what you love. I will say, like, as soon as I read the title of this essay, I, like, wanted to cry. Just because... (laughs) Like, that alone evokes the, like, exactly what you're trying to say. Yeah. You paired it with the perfect song. Thank you. And thank you, Joni. Yeah. For existing. I just wanted to say that right away.
right out loud. Um, so I just want to ask you about Valentine's Day because I know that you just really <laughs> are into it. You're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. I link to the other. I've gotten to write about Valentine's Day every year, which is kind of a cool way that that happened on the calendar, like that it just yeah. happened that way. Yeah. Um, I've actually gotten to write about almost all of the holidays, which has been dope because, as you know, I am obsessed with them. But Valentine's Day in particular is low-key slash high-key my favorite holiday just because um, – for a really long time, I, I think I wrote about this in either the first or the second Valentine's essay I wrote. I was like, I've actually only had a boyfriend or been dating someone twice, I think, on Valentine's Day. And so mm-hmm. for me, most years that I've been alive and celebrating it, it's really just been about like love, like yeah. loot, it's everywhere. And sometimes that's romantic love, right? Or like watching what, I don't know, Titanic and like- yeah with your girlfriends or something. But over the past couple of years, for me, it's been a lot more about being really, really mindful of the people that have loved me for most of my life, which um, is mostly my family, but also a couple of friends I have from high school that I've known like for 10 plus years. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's more turned into a day of just like celebrating the longevity of relationships that are like good relationships not just like we're friends it's like no like you've seen me at my worst I've seen you at your worst like we still like each other we still want to go like do karaoke together and (laughs) I love love like and I love celebrating I love anything that carves out the time to celebrate something and I think it's really easy to like I saw someone call it a hallmark holiday I was like oh like (laughs) And I get why it is that for a lot of people, but I'm like, I don't get how you can all miss this massive opportunity to just like walk around and say, I love you all day. Yeah. Well, and that's like, you really, I've like noticed Valentine's day more because of you, because you really like, you set it aside and you like, I think a couple of years ago when we made that video with Emma. Oh my gosh. I was like, hey, I want to hang out with you. And it like happened to be Valentine's Day. And I didn't realize that you were like, well, I've cleared my schedule today because I have a full (laughs) agenda of plans. Um, If you would like to participate in some of those plans, you are very welcome. That is accurate. (laughs) Yeah. And and honestly, Jesse, like that is a huge um, gift of yours is like, um, like really setting things aside and naming them and saying like, this is, this day is about love and here's what I'll do about that. And that, thank you. And that feels like, I mean, similarly what you're doing with acting is you're like setting it aside and you're like, I'm doing this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really beautiful and it's all about love, you know? Yeah. Kind of the unavoidable love. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How long have you known that, like, acting is the great love work of your life? Um, honestly, like, honestly, in acting one, um, mm. in college, I... Uh, we... Well, actually, Amy did this, too, but we were in different classes. Like, the first exercise... 
the, I, know, I guess it's technically the second exercise you do is a BOE, um, which is uh, called a basic object exercise, where basically you just have to recreate a moment in your life in front of other people, mm-hmm. um, which sounds super sexy, but is really just like you in your dorm room. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I did mine. And I remember the first thing that Mark, our teacher, said to me, he was just kind of like looking at me and he said, he was like, acting is in you to do. And I was like, what? <laughs> he was like, he was like, the way you walk through the world, like you're an actor. Mm, and I didn't I was, know he said that to you. Yeah. And, and he said some other stuff. And I remember kind of in that moment, I was like, oh, like it was him naming something that I already knew. Um, but I guess didn't, you know, when someone like points something out to you about yourself and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that not everyone was like that. Yes. Um, yeah. And it was one of those moments. And I think like throughout my time at arena, like every time it's just, I was like constantly like, <laughs> like even in a rehearsal for a directing scene, I was like always like thrilled, like every time, <laughs> like to be, and I was also terrified. Uh-huh. Like every time I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like, this is the best thing ever. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna die. <laughs> like, and that's how I, and I still feel that way. Like even when I'm rehearsing an audition in my room, like, or I, I had an audition on Friday for this, this theater out here mm-hmm. and like walking into the room, I was like, Oh my God, I'm walking to the gallows. And I'm also walking to meet like everyone I've ever loved in the same room. Like oh, it feels, yeah. And, and it feels that big, which you're just so like, thrilled to be there. Well, and it's also, like, I write about trying to forget it. It's because it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And it's also, like, to live in that heightened of a state. I'm like, I don't know if this is healthy. (laughs) Um, But it's it's true. And I think the, you know, my first two years out of college was a lot of wrestling back and forth. Um, You know this, Amy. And I think I've written about this. I I auditioned for grad school – for acting like while I was still in school and um it was a really good experience I got like I was like on the fast track to getting into different schools blah 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 and then I kind of like no I didn't I truly I crumbled it was mm-hmm. like a big moment it was a what's that called it was a watershed moment yeah where I was like I love this but I can't do this and I don't know why and it really spent I I really spent two years after that being like okay so I love this but I don't know if I can do it um for a number of reasons and then when what do you mean I don't know if I can do it um a couple yeah a a couple reasons one of them being it's a real it's a terrible field in a lot of ways like there are pockets of of really wonderful things. And I think learning to be an actor in arena, you're kind of spoiled because you're really making, well, yeah, you are like, you're making meaningful work. You're getting to do these amazing plays with people who are inclined and talented and like really hold you up and like care about you and care about the work and are, are similarly all in. And then you step into a theater for an audition and you're like, Oh my God, this is all the stuff I forgot. Like it's, it can be like. <sighs> Ensemble it's theater like, is like the ideal and also extremely rare. Yeah. And any other place you walk in, you really do have to walk into the room thinking I'm the best. Yeah. And yeah. which, and, and I don't think that's necessarily bad, but it's a really difficult environment to navigate. And for me saying, I don't know if I can do this was 
a lot about, I don't know if I can in good conscience pursue this with all of the like inherent narcissism and all of the like kind of what we were talking about before, but in the poisonous way, like the way that it forces you to be individual and the way that it kind of forces you to lean into your own abilities and out of lean and out of support and relationship. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and kind of like what I read about in the essay, I'm like, I can do a lot of other stuff and I like doing a lot of other stuff. And multiple actors have said, you should only be an actor if it's the only thing you can do. Yep. And I think for me, that was like a really big thing that I had to think about for the past two years of just like, oh, okay, well, I can do other stuff. So maybe I should try to do it. And like literally every time I was in a workshop or back in a rehearsal space or even just reading lines with someone doing an audition, it was like, it was right there. It was like, oh, this is it. So like every time I was like, oh, you're back. And I was like, no, I tried. <laughs> like, and yeah. So I guess that's what I mean by saying I didn't know if I could do it. Not so much out of like, am I talented? It's like, obviously all those questions, like that's always going to be there. Right. I think for any actor, like that's just kind of always a little bit there. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it was more out of the, the lifestyle and the, true commitment to kind of constantly putting your whole self on display and there is a 50% chance that it will be rejected like every time. Yeah. 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 I mean, hearing this is like almost helpful for me because like, obviously we, we went through the same acting program and I, I love acting too, but I don't think it is the thing for me, you know? And it's, yeah to hear you talk about it and to like process it for myself. Like I, there are obviously other things that I can do that I think are bigger for me. And so it's, yeah, that makes me at once like more confident about what I'm doing and more confident about what you're doing, you know, because like, I think for me to pursue acting would have been a mistake. And for you, it's But for so much of your life, you didn't think that way. I know. And that's, what's so strange. And I'm so thankful for, um all of my training like I think I think I'm more of a director than an actor Um, I would agree yeah Yeah. and but I was an actor for so many years and I was good at it and it was it like life-giving hugely and the ensemble really was where I felt that the most and then I left the ensemble and I was like I think I've done my work in acting and I think I'm that's it for me you know but I'm so happy for you that, like, you're not done. And you feel that every time you pick it up again. You're like, I am not done, you know? Yeah. 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 And it's it's interesting to feel that way while simultaneously knowing, <laughs> like, again, just like I said, it's like, oh, yeah, no, there's still a really good chance this won't happen. Uh, <laughs> like, even though – and that's another part of it is you have to know it's like I could invest, like, all these years and – yeah. I mean, I don't think that'll happen. But every fly Oscar winning woman who's 45 years old says, I waited so long and I'm so glad I stayed, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's part of it, though, is you have to commit to like, this could be 20 years of input. Yeah. Before anyone else says like, oh, I'll never forget watching the Tonys. I don't remember how many. I think it was three years ago. And there was this woman who was in her late 60s or early 70s. And she won yeah. for the humans that play yes. the humans. 
Um, and her expression was so funny because she was like, well, like, this is nice. I've been doing this for 40 years, but I guess this is nice. <laughs> and that kind of started the germination process of like, oh, not everyone's Jennifer Lawrence who kind of stumbles no. into this, like, amazing acclaim and everyone praises. Like, most people are just – are really craftspeople. Like – yeah. I, I mean, I went to a play yesterday at the company I auditioned for, and I was watching it, and I was like, I was like, damn, I'm in, like, this big, major film city, and there's this amazing, tiny theater. It reminded me a lot of Arena, actually, and I was like, there's all these people who are super talented, and they're in this tiny, tiny theater, and this is, like, they're choosing this. They know that this is, like, quote-unquote, smaller, but, like, they're getting to do the thing that they love. And that's a huge negotiation thing, too, mm-hmm. is, like... With acting, you can make a living at, like, doing regional theater or being in commercials or, like, there's lots of different ways to do it. And that's why it's harder when you're like, no, I know which version I want to do and I know what I want the outcome to be. And, well, what are your thoughts on the moment on fame? Because I know that you, you've thought about fame in the past. Yeah. (laughs) Um. It's so hard to talk about. I know. Well, I was one of my questions I wrote down is why do you think it's so hard to talk about acting? Because you said you you like listed off that can seem trade or performative or. Well, because it's literally all of you. Like if you're an architect, you can show people your designs and your buildings and people are like, oh, my gosh. And they can get some idea of who you are as a person and they can get some idea of who you of like what you value based on sort of abstract inference of the product you create. But as an actor, it's literally always you like, and your actual body, your actual voice, your actual. Yeah. And like when I hear other actors talk, like there's that terrible thing called actors on acting, I think, or something where like two young famous people talk to each other. And I find it so unwatchable. Like, (laughs) and I often like the actor. It's just, it's often, it can be really gross to talk about. And again, even hearing myself talk about it, I'm like, there's going to, I know that like, I might listen back and be like, yeah, but it's, you know, whatever. It's part of talking about it. It's like, yeah, this is the thing I love. So I need to learn how to talk about it at least coherently and accept that I might listen back and be like, Ooh, you sound like the people you don't like. It's like, well, okay, I'm doing my best. Yeah. Um, so in regards to fame, um, I, I don't think you can be an actor and be pursuing acting and um, not admit that that is a thing that you, if not actively desire, like somewhat hope for Yeah, in a way, because in it ends, fame means that you're successful, right? It means you're getting jobs. It means that people are looking at you and saying, you're good at this. And um that was also part of the kind of two-year hunt of like can I do this like I would listen to interviews with (laughs) Martin Sheen um (laughs) because I was obsessed with the West Wing I was like I don't know what he has to say about acting and like I would read interviews you remember when I wrote that thing in imaginary conversation with Al Pacino yeah yeah that was me trying to work this out that's like one of my Um, favorite things you've written it's so small and strange but it's like really (laughs) special Thank you. It was after I watched The Godfather because I was watching it. I was like, if I get to make something, I mean, are we ever going to make something like The Godfather in the 21st century? Not sure. But watching (laughs) The Godfather, I was like, if fame has to happen for me to get to make something like The Godfather. Oh, yeah. 
Like, duh, that's an easy answer, right? Unless you're and... Diane Keaton, then you're terribly missed. Poor Diane Keaton. That was just so not her rodeo. Um, I love her, but dear God. Um, <laughs> but so I think the way that I feel about fame is as long as you have three people, and I know who my three people are, that you will listen to no matter what level of quote unquote success you achieve, I think that it's fine. And I think it's just, it's, it's kind of like what you were saying. It's like, you have to come back to the source. Like the second that you start thinking you're the best thing, like (laughs) you immediately need to run and be like, okay, go back to the thing. And it's so hard. I mean, even just being at Sundance, there was this woman who literally introduced herself to me. And the first thing she said was, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like, I'm an award-winning editor. And I literally, I was like, oh, can you excuse me? I left my phone over here. And I just left the conversation because, like, Ugh. and it's gross. And that's the thing that you have to continue. It's like, yeah, yeah, you have to know that this is part of it. And you have to do everything that is in your power to not be that way. And to remember that fame is an accident. There's this great magnet that my mom has hanging <laughs> in our house. And it, I think it says, what does it say? Fame is an accident. Um, popularity, a, oh, shoot, famous an accident, popularity, Cindy, help, mom, something, and it's whatever, the last thing it says is only one thing remains, and that is character, mm. and I think as long as you're always, snaps just, to like, that, snaps to that, I'm snapping really back... quietly, because I'm bad at snapping, here, I'll snap for you, thanks, Jess. you're so welcome, it's called partnership, <laughs> all that to say, I think as long as you're always do if you if I remember that I don't care how cheesy and new agey this sounds if I remember that like my number one thing is to be a seeker I think that anything good that comes or big that comes from pursuing acting will just be what it is yeah like as long as you're always mindful of the one thing like the rest kind of is what it is yeah and I mean I completely agree with the same with the things that I've been doing you know like it goes back to yeah. education where it's the thing that you would do even if you weren't being paid even if no one really cared like yeah obviously the goal is for for it to be to help somebody or to like yes get out of yourself but it's the thing you would do if you were alone on an island you know yes and it just happens to be that yeah <laughs> the thing I'm pursuing also is the biggest trap for narcissism I know <laughs> Yeah, but that's, I guess that's, it's just in it. It just is. It's just part of it. The Pandora's box. Yup. Um, I want to ask you about the, the paragraph that is just so beautiful that you wrote. Can I read it really quick? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Think of your thing, the thing you love the most. If you are anything like me, you perhaps have tried to forget it multiple times. Because it is kind of painful to love something as much as the thing you love the most. And that's before you add in everything you love almost as much. Oh God, everywhere I turn, there's something I love enough to destroy me and I don't even have children. But you love the thing you love the most for a reason. And really, what better way to go about life than letting it destroy you? And doing your very best to give that love away to people just like you. People who don't deserve it. People who desperately need it. Every day you have less reason not to give yourself away. So <laughs> I want to ask you about that because that's a really um, 
I mean, it, it just is a mature point of view. And it's a really Christ-like point of view. And I just like, how have you gotten there? Or like, not to say that you're like in this amazing place, but I think No, I like, understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's just a beautiful thing that we all need to learn and are learning if we're on the right track. So just tell me more about that idea. Um, the short answer, I think, is, I mean, I quote Wendell Berry in there, right? The mm-hmm. every day you have less and less reason not to give yourself away. And yeah. I have, that's like one of the poems that I have straight up sat with for three years. Like, and mm-hmm. I guess me- meditation is the best way to talk about it. That poem, and there's the, There's another poem that's similar to it that I just like when you really let yourself sit with a piece of work that inspires you or speaks to you or whatever. It's like I've seen it kind of become the fat part of the fabric of my brain. Yeah. Um, and. I. The concept of. Um, of giving has also come from meditating with the ideas of the Enneagram, like all those silly Ennea thoughts that half the time I read it, I'm like, this is stupid. But then (laughs) the other times I read it and a lot of the things that they say about fours is like one of your great gifts is if you can, you know, get out of your swamp that you've made for yourself, you are like objectively creative and can view things like as they are. And so I think once I started to view acting as a gift and not as something I could do. And it sounds, it's sticky to say it, right? Like, it's hard to say something you're good at as a gift, but it also is the perspective of like, well, it's not mine. And so yeah. if I'm just using something that was given to me imperfectly, what right? Like doing something, it, it completely changes how, at least for me, it's completely changed A, how I view it, and B, how I choose to pursue it. Because it's like, okay, so if this is something... Like, a doctor doesn't question being a doctor. <laughs> like, yeah. they look at, like, no, I'm able to memorize large bits of information. I'm fascinated by the human body. I understand how it works, and I want to help take care of people. Yeah. Like, acting is being soul doctors, and I don't know why it's so hard. Like, that's another that's another piece of the meditation puzzle is Anton Chekhov talks about that. Like, he was literally a doctor, and he talked about being a playwright as being a doctor for the soul. And... I don't know why it's so hard to say that you're good at something when you're good at something like, and I think once you recognize it's like, no, it's not about me like saying I'm good at it. It's like, it's being able, just what you said before is being able to help someone based on something that you're able to do that maybe other people aren't able to do. And I think it just happens to be that because acting is like, I don't know, whatever, sexy or fame produced, like all, just all the icky stuff that we've talked about. But when you strip it back to acting, like it's, it's easier. Well, and maybe the essential thing is being okay with it destroying you, you know? Yeah. Which is so <laughs> like crazy to say. But I know. Also not. When you're living it, that's not crazy to say because you feel like, you know, Yeah. And I mean, that is kind of what I'm doing. And so, no, not kind of, it is. That's like, I'm, (laughs) I am doing this and uh, it's all the things that make recording a podcast hard for me. Cause it's like, what if I feel differently in three years? And it's like, too bad. Here you are. 
Well, no I just back. listened to a, a poet talking and she was like, poets don't read your early poetry because then you'll feel worried if you contradict yourself when yeah. you were younger. But like we have to be. But then she said, I think it was Nikki Giovanni. Then she said, um, but like you aren't growing unless you begin to contradict yourself, you know? Mm, wow. So like you will, you will listen to this in three years and, and contradict yourself. But that's the beauty, you know? Yeah. And you will have been destroyed, but in, you know, ineffable ways. Ineffable ways. Letting it destroy you. Ugh. Well, and it also comes back, you know what it comes down to? Mm-hmm. With dreams. Mm-hmm. If you have one, if you have a dream, you are profoundly lucky and in the small percentage of humanity. Yeah. Like to have a dream, to have a clearly articulated and pursuable dream is in itself a very large gift. Yeah, that... and you say that you, like, owe it to other people that you pursue it because it is such a gift to have. Well, it. you do, and that's yeah. how I feel, and it's one – I couldn't have said that a couple of years ago, right? Because, yeah. like, I value other people's work based on – I'm like, it's very generous of people to give of themselves, and I think it feels large and scary to say, like, I have something to offer, and I don't think you can say that until a certain – moment and once you've said it then like you question it's like can I give something away it's like yeah I probably can like well and the work of it does take so much muscle and these things like they it's natural selection like you will be weeded out if it's not yeah that's so weird to say but it's true like no it's totally true the things that are the dream things you have to fight tooth and nail to make happen no matter what it is like yeah Ugh. so you are destroyed by it mm-hmm. no matter what And, like, hopefully along the way you'll get to make some of the things you hoped for. But, like, yeah, it is devastating. (laughs) It is devastating to love something that much. It is. It is. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think that's probably a good place to stop devastation. I think it is. I think it is. Devastation. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, This has been a great conversation. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's been very clarifying me too me too I'm a verbal processor so it really helps isn't it hard to be a verbal processor and an introvert yes 100%. I was thinking that That's as I was walking I to get the mail yesterday I know yeah, yeah. oh man yeah yes. okay well signing off signing off go make that vlog <laughs> I'll do my best fame and fortune Oy. bye Jess bye much for listening for more synchronized swim follow along online at www.synchronized-swim.com and on instagram at synchronized swim blog bye